0: Player one, press start to play. So Graveyard Duck episode number eight. Uh, Wow, that's kind of hard to believe. that We've made it eight episodes already. I know. Feels like we just started
1: the show, but
0: (laughs) what do I know? I don't know. You talk about games that you love. It's just like conversations we're having anyway. So uh, (laughs) why not turn the mic on? Uh, This week, we are talking about Ninja Gaiden 2, The Dark Sword of Chaos, developed and published by Tecmo, released, um, I know that in the US, this was what, May? 1990 I think Japan got it about a month earlier so April to May of 1990 for Famicom super NES, or Famicom and the NES mm-hmm. um, yeah so kind of right there in the in the middle of the uh, NES era I I always kind of think of it as as I think of like the different waves of the NES releases there was like the major franchises all had their trilogies and it's kind of like the, the first installment all kind of took that first wave then the second installment took the third or the second and the third the third wave, but like Ninja Gaiden was always like one installment removed. So, like Ninja Gaiden mm. 1 was coming out during like Mario 2 and Zelda 2 and Mega Man 2, Castlevania 2. But then, like, this one feels like it came out earlier, but this was actually a little bit later. Like, this was around the time of like within a month, I believe, of like Dracula's Curse. Um, Mega Man 3 wasn't too far off of this, so mm. um, I don't know. I'll all, all things considered, it was a little bit later, you know, after the release, but...
1: Um, yeah, it's a good way to look at it, though, because, uh, I mean, this is right when the NES was really, really hitting its stride as far as, um, you know, making a name for itself. And this was... I remember this being a really, uh, really incredibly hyped-up game uh, as far as the sequel is concerned. Because you right. um, had ample coverage in Nintendo Power and EGM and all the magazines of the day were just, you know eagerly anticipating this game and then uh you know even in the uh the strategy guides that Nintendo Power sent out those four separate ones they had a whole issue on Ninja Gaiden 2
0: right I was going to say Nintendo Power did that where it was during their third year Uh they there were four issues that well three of the four were dedicated to one single game and that was really remarkable that they did that and it was I mean the other two were big games Final Fantasy Super Mario Brothers 3 Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, when they did a Ninja Gaiden 2 one, it was just like, whoa, this, mu- this must be huge. Uh-huh. And actually a little bit yeah,
1: of... to devote uh, a, a whole strategy guide to a third-party game. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they had the Final Fantasy guide, but uh, for an action-platforming ninja game, uh, you know, there was really a lot of marketing muscle and, and anticipation behind it.
0: Personal anecdote uh, that Ninja Gaiden 2 Nintendo Power issue... Was mm-hmm. the first issue of Nintendo Power I ever owned? Really? Yep. Okay. I didn't have That's my right. subscription for probably about a year after that, but huh. I was I was at a Woolworths of all places and saw that on a uh, little magazine rack, and I was like, "Well, this just looks neat," and I saw the ninjas and all that, and I was like, "I gotta have this!" And oh yeah, so yeah, I I, I owned that before I owned the game
1: even. Right? Yeah, I I was the same way. I mean, I rented this a lot, but I had the the guide already, so that kind of helped. But I was going to say, this is kind of at the height of um, sort of video game ninja mania, if you will. <laughs> yes. Uh, where like every, I mean, every game had ninjas in it somewhere or, you know, that, that was how your game was successful is you, you put ninjas in there.
0: Yeah, what was that about the late 80s, early 90s where like ninjas were just like cool? Like, you know, I, I don't
1: know if it's just a, a weird sort of thing where, I don't know, we just thought they were, badasses i don't know it's just it was I mean, cool they're everywhere but oh yeah um, i was a ninja for halloween at least two or three years right that's oh, an easy <laughs> costume to make a couple of bed sheets and <laughs> you know, whatever but no i don't know it was just there's just something about you know having a, a badass ninja on the cover art of the game that makes you want to play it hmm. i guess i can't really explain it any
0: better than that but well and speaking of the cover art i mean i'm looking at the at the box right now, and it, it is a kind of epic thing that would really sell, yeah. you know, a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got the ninja, you've got the big dragon behind that,
1: the Manhattan,
0: mm-hmm. you know, New York skyline. The like, Center back there. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a very epic feeling art. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I could and definitely it's, again,
1: it, it's the It's that exact thing where it's like, you know, we have this ninja, but we also have this city, but there's a dragon as well. So, Nothing really gels I mean, as right. far as like setting is concerned, but you know, as a kid, you look at that and you're just like, "Yeah, that looks great." Right.
0: All right. So, what's your early nostalgia and uh, memories of playing the game?
1: Uh, well, like I said, I I had the guide and I had the Nintendo Power, so I didn't actually own this game until much later on when I started collecting again. But I had rented it quite a few times, and I knew it, you know, just kind of backwards and forwards almost, just from reading the guides and studying them things like that but um you know i don't know it's probably cliche to say this but you know this is kind of like for me this is like the empire strikes back to star wars kind of thing where it's it's eagerly anticipated and it's a darker sort of game you know it starts off with ashtar and you know standing on the ledge and there's lightning and there's things going on you're just like oh wow this is really dark because you know you've got the um it just picks up right after the, the tale of the first one. So I just remember being really excited to play it, but uh, I don't know, for some reason, I don't know why I never chose to, to get this game back then. Cause you know, obviously you can only pick like certain games at birthdays and Christmas and stuff like that, but I love the game. I don't know why I never asked for it, but I guess because it was cheaper to rent it occasionally than just buy it.
0: I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. For me, this was the first Ninja Gaiden game I played of the series. Really? Okay. um i had so the neighborhood i grew up in there, there was a neighborhood i lived in from 89 to 92 which was like the pinnacle nes gaming era um uh-huh. and i had like three really good friends that lived in the neighborhood and they all had like i i didn't remember their names but like i more remember them by which games for the nes they had um <laughs> and i yeah, had
1: what I, I could totally identify with that
0: yeah right um but my Two friends that lived right down the street, two houses down, they had, they had gotten this and it, it had to have been like right after it had gotten released. And I remember mm-hmm. going over to their house and hanging out and playing. And it, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, in 1990, when you go over to a friend's house and you're, you know, what, eight years old, it's like, oh, what do you want to do? It's like, well, duh, we either going to watch like shitty Jean-Claude Van Damme movies or we're going to play NES. And... <laughs> So we play NES, and that's like, at that house, there was no question. The game we were playing was Ninja Gaiden 2. Um, Nice. And I just remember, like, the the first time you would play it, just seeing... I remember saying something similar to this when we were talking about um, Castlevania 2, but the idea of, like, these just, like, really epic-looking backgrounds and sceneries. Um, Mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, Ashtar standing on the balcony, and there's, like, the lightning and the Purple Mountains behind him, and then... Mm -hmm. And some of the other, you know, levels like the backgrounds, it's just like so, you know, bright and the colors are just so vibrant and it, uh-huh. it just it really kind of captured me as a kid, thinking like this is actually a really really pretty game, which a lot of the stuff prior to that was very uh, more muted or just um, like a lot more grainy and pixelated. So I mean, this was one of the first ones that I saw like that it just really had that you know artistic aesthetic. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we we played it like crazy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, we played it like crazy over there. And it was several years later, like maybe I think when Babbage's finally started selling used cartridges is when I picked it up for myself, but was Mm -hmm. incredibly familiar with it just from playing it at friends' houses. Um, Yeah. And then, yeah, I have
1: have similar memories like that with uh, the first
0: game because when I was younger, I
1: remember going over to my friend Andy's house, um, you know. Uh, his mom and my mom were really good friends and everything and he had the first game and so we played that a lot and then uh, I don't remember we swapped games for a while and I don't remember what I gave him but uh, I remember him being kind of reluctant because I think it was like not nearly as good as Ninja Gaiden but I had the first game you know for uh, like a week or two and uh, played it and then went back and swapped it but it is kind of funny how you mention that though now that I think about it it that's a good memory to think of like, you know, growing up that there were, you know, your friends that you kind of identified by which games they had, because, yep. you know, you might've had the the core games that everyone had, but then, you know, somebody probably had, you know, has or something strange that, you know, you didn't have or something like that.
0: I don't know. Yep. That's just interesting. So, yeah, we, uh, we played it a ton then. And I had another friend down the block that had the first one. And mm-hmm. I discovered that, you know, a couple months later and I was like oh that's funny like now it's fun to play the first one after I'm so familiar with the second one and just sure. noticing how vastly different the challenge was between the two but um mm-hmm. yeah so th- this was definitely my first and uh, <laughs> I go back and forth whether this or the first one is my favorite but I just I love both I can't it's like picking your favorite child really yeah I mean you know they, they both have
1: their their subtle differences while the the main game is is similar i mean you know your your skills can transfer between the two games but they're they're just different enough that uh yeah some people have a favorite right. one or two. so and i never hear anybody really bringing up the three is their favorite but no maybe not many people played it because it came out later i
0: don't know i just think it 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 deviated so much like this one of the things that makes the first two so remarkable is their story was amazing uh-huh. uh i think the controls are just so tight and you know it's just very well balanced. Uh, the challenge is good. Like I just think that they're incredibly solid games. I think the third yeah. one kind of deviated from that. I think the story was really just kind of dumb. Um, I didn't it's feel like
1: stuff. yeah, it, it is robots and, and mechs and, and yeah.
0: And I don't think that they put near as much uh, love into the level design or the boss design. Like it, it just felt like a kind of like a cash in. You know, we needed a third part for our trilogy, but. I, well, and the fact that you only
1: get five continues in the entire game on the NES one. Yes. Versus that's a, the Japanese version that had unlimited continues. Right. That's that's just mean.
0: Okay, so how often uh, do you play through this game now? Uh, I would say probably every
1: couple of years or so. Um, I played it more in the last week or two uh, than I have in a while. But, you know, it's, it's great because I've played it enough that I can remember a lot of Parts of it, but then coming back to it each time, um, especially getting up towards the later levels, then um, it gets pretty tough again, but it's enjoyable because uh, that muscle memory starts to kick in and you start to really kind of remember, oh, this is how I did this or this is how I do that. So, right, um, yeah, it's, it's fun to just pick up a play every now and then.
0: Yeah, I go through this one at least once a year, and I, I think that, you know, the, one of the biggest differences that I find between this and the first one is that I do think that this is a little easier and mm-hmm. the um some of that comes from just having you know a little bit smoother controls like being able to climb up and down the walls um yeah. some of the you know power-ups you get are a little bit more useful i think in this one compared to the first one so and, and overall i think the challenge is just scaled back just enough that both are perfectly manageable games but mm-hmm. The, f- the first one is definitely an exercise, you know, and by the time you get through it, you feel like you've earned that end title scene. Oh, yeah. And in this one, it's there's still very challenging stages, but what mm-hmm. I was starting to notice is like, you know, especially over the last two weeks getting ready for the show, I played through this f- five, six times maybe and was able to get it down to a, about a half an hour, maybe 40 minute playthrough. Um, mm-hmm. And it's right. a, a lot of that's just because of, you know, the pattern recognition. And the, the fact that it's, it's it's a very kind of simple game when you really kind of break it down. And I don't feel yeah. like I've ever really quite reached that same level of skill with the first one because there is mm. just a little bit more randomness thrown in it. So this one is fun, and it's the one that I'll pick up if I just want, you know, hey, something quick to do over the lunch break. I feel like playing through a game. This one will fit, yeah. you know, that mold. Sure. Um, Makes sense. Unless so. you're a master, just didn't
1: really want to play through the first one. But I, I do miss some of the stuff that um, that wasn't in the first game, though. I, I mean, I miss the jump and slash, even though it's really, really broken. Yeah, that was part of the fun of the first one, is you know, because that power up didn't always appear everywhere. So when I played the first one, I always tried to carry the jump and slash as far as I could, because once you got to any of the bosses with it, I mean, you would just destroy them instantly. Oh yeah, but I feel that that's kind of. Um, it, it returns just a little bit with the, the Phantom Doubles, because once you get this game down and you know the positioning of where to put the doubles in the boss fights, then it becomes really, really easy.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that that's kind of the, the trade-off between the, the two games is that mm-hmm. you're right, that, the yeah. jump and slash is amazing. Uh, it's a little bit frustrating, and actually, I find that it adds extra challenge to the game because if you just jump and hit attack, you're going to waste your energy points but you can mm-hmm. hold, hold down on the D-pad and, you know... i say, yeah, you press down and slash, then you press Right, which actually down. makes the game more challenging, because it's cumbersome, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, in this one, where they give you the Phantom Doubles, it's like it, it takes a lot of practice to learn how to utilize them, to right. think that it's like, okay, not only are they good for the occasional, hey, they got a... I, I jumped off a ledge, tried to get the power up, missed it, but, oh, they're still in position, they can get it for me, or... Mm-hmm a bat's flying at me, like, and it's going to hit one of them, like, to think that you've got three different swords that are going to swing, like, utilizing yep. that is, you know, a, a skill that you have to kind of master. Um, or any of but, the enemies that just come
1: running off, you know, from the opposite side of the screen right at you. Right. A lot.
0: Right. So, yeah, getting used to that, I think, takes a little bit more work. But, um, yeah, I think that's a huge advantage to the game, once you can kind of get get that mm-hmm. technique down. And um,
1: I don't know. I'm trying to think um, because that the idea of having these sh- like shadow doubles that follow you and mimic you. Was there anything I am trying to think, were there any games before this that did anything
0: like that before I mean, this, as far, as, as, far as the way that
1: it plays?
0: I don't think there was much that predated this. I can think of a okay. couple of games afterwards, but yeah, this might've been the,
1: uh... yeah. I mean, it's a neat idea from a, a programming standpoint. It's, it's pretty neat because it's just really something that's mimicking, you know, every input, just a few you know, a few frames away, but what a cool way to, you know, kind of figure that out. I'm surprised that more games haven't picked up on that kind of thing as far as from a platforming standpoint, I guess.
0: Well, and there, there's a lot of little strategy that you can, you know, exploit with it too because yeah. if you think about, you know, any of the special power-ups like the, the Art of the Firewheel or whatever, it's like, okay, or, or a better example, the Windmill Throwing Star. Mm-hmm. If you throw one of those out, like in this case, you've got three of them flying out. Right and it's for the same cost so it's you know three times as efficient and mm-hmm. that if you jump over it and you know don't catch it as a boomerang's back to you like now they're just three of these things whipping all over the screen yeah um, good
1: point especially cuz with the uh the uh throwing star that the boomerang one I always when I throw it I always jump so it goes back behind me and then jump again so it's like if you keep jumping, the thing will just fly across the screen back and forth. And if you've right. got two of the doubles, then you've got three
0: of these wheels of death just flying all over the screen. Right. Um, the the other thing that I found that works really well is like, as you know, Ryu is like climbing on a wall. If you go to attack, it automatically uses you know your weapon. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like the other phantom doubles, if they're still in midair, like they'll use the weapon also. But oh. you could do vice versa. If you climb up a wall and then you jump off the wall, but your phantom double's still on the wall, you could yeah. swing the sword and have them stab, which is something you normally can't do on a wall. So it's there's little tricks like that that you can use if you're really kind of hyper aware of the situation, which is tough considering. Yeah, the, it's such a fast paced game, but um, well, and that that makes sense though
1: too. But you bring up a good point because the the ability to attack while you're on a wall really does kind of give you an advantage in some of those situations where. You know, you might have to drop down to a platform underneath, but there's a guy going back and forth, you know, and you have the new weapon that that fires the
0: fireball at the downward angle, then you can actually hit him without endangering yourself, which is nice. Um, So one of the other things that I think is so remarkable about, you know, this franchise, but this game especially, is the story. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the Ninja Gaiden games were really, really noteworthy for having this just epically cinematic Almost theatrical story. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tecmo Theater, as they called it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the story in this one doesn't quite live up to what you got in the first game, but still, in terms of just mm-hmm. what, what you would get from 1990 video gaming, I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, this is a movie. Right. And I, I just think that, you know, pair this up with part one or even this as a standalone story. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I was never expecting that kind of thing from a game. Right. And, when you start playing, it's like there's the intro cinematic between each stage, there's at least one, sometimes two cinematics, which you know, another funny anecdote. I was much older before I realized that there were sometimes two scenes between the oh, stages. Really? Like huh. there there was the one and then it said, you know, act two, and then if you don't press start right away, another one will play. Right. And so you probably skipped half of them. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and by the time I was a little bit older, and I realized, like, oh, I missed half this story. Like that makes uh-huh. a lot more sense. <laughs>
1: um, well, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, that's another thing this series is famous for is is the cinema scenes. I mean, yeah. that was a that was a big deal when the first game came out, especially. I mean, there weren't many games at the time that had really taken the time to develop the story like that. You might get it in the instruction book, but to have these full, you know, movie type scenes that was that was just unheard of.
0: But, well, and it, it took the game. And just added an extra level of depth to it as well because mm-hmm. that then you felt like i don't know like so many other games in this era were the type where each stage was like fun and it's mm-hmm. like you you could kind of tell like the designers were like you know what would be fun is if we threw them on a train now and then if we threw them in a cave like let's have a water level yep. but in this case it's yeah, like because every goddamn game has yeah, got an ice level every game has the freaking ice level Um, yep. Yep. but in this case it like made sense because yes after a stage they'd have this cinematic where okay you start off in the city and then there's this CIA agent agent who shows up and it's like oh like I'm from America I heard that you were really good at this like I've been recruited Mm -hmm. to tell you to go do do this like you need to take this train to such and such it's like okay that explains why Mm -hmm. I'm now on a train and then climbing this mountain and then the next scene I've got to go find this tower and then the next you know it's like that mm-hmm. makes these random stages make sense because there's a context exactly. to them. Yeah. It, it really
1: pulls you into the game a lot more because right. uh, there's, there's more detail there and there's, there's stakes then. And,
0: and especially yeah. when you then get, you know, I never thought I'd have to say this for a video game. I'm used to this on my you know <laughs> horror movie podcast, but it's like, spoiler alert. There's a spot in the game where it's like, Holy shit, like that guy's still alive. Like, and huh? it's like, that's a big moment in a video yeah. game. Um, but it's weird to say that that's a big moment in a video game like no that but you're... that's i mean that's the that's the attention
1: to detail that this game has now if it didn't have the, the cutscenes in it and the uh, you know the enemies from the first game show up again you just you would just look at it and just think wow they just recycled these characters from the first game but right right having the story
0: actually explain it then it makes sense right yeah if they just you know spliced them in there with no explanation you'd think you're playing a capcom game uh-huh. <laughs> um, no, speaking of reusing enemies from the first game, I do love the uh, subtle little touch that all five of the bosses other mm-hmm. than other than Jicquillo, from the first game are minor enemies in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Like just small yeah, I versions of them. Got, I, I always thought that was hilarious. Like they got
1: demoted or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: You failed, so now you're tiny and <laughs>
1: uh uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, now you missed. You must kill a hundred ninjas then to attain your status
0: again, or you know it just kind of maybe speaks to how Ryu is just that much more of a badass now that this thing used to be this huge epic fight and now he's taking them out you know every yeah, turn pretty
1: much. And that's probably I mean that was probably a limitation as well. A, they probably already had the sprite work and just scale it down a little bit. There you go, yeah. They're enemies. But you know that's fine. I mean it. I don't know. Again, within the context of the world. That both of these games had created you know we'd, you just kind of accepted it
0: i guess yeah and i do think that it, the bosses in this game feel a little bit weird um mm. i i like them all and i mean they're very nostalgic and classic to me because i love the game but when mm-hmm. you actually think about what they are um, none of it really makes sense i mean they're no they're we're no. talking about the the tribe of chaos, which, you know, if you follow the story and read the instruction book, it makes a little bit more sense that Ashtar's leading this basically band of demon ninjas yes, that's you know, kind of yeah. yeah. But like mm-hmm. the the names of these little creatures, you know, Dando the Cursed, Baron Spider, Funky Dynamite, you know Funky Dynamite. Funky Dynamite. Like the the flying robot mutant thing that shoots rockets at you. Like I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of one of those things where they
1: the underwater dragon
0: yes exactly you know they, uh-huh. they they had a good design idea and then they're like now how do we fit this into the story and it, it doesn't really fit but it's like okay no. No,
1: whatever but but it would have been a perfect line of toys action figures
0: had they ever oh, made oh a, yeah you know or know. a cartoon like i always thought that this would be an amazing like anime or cartoon like just to see those characters you know, yeah, you know, and it
1: seems like animated. It was
0: set up in a way that they could have done that, but it just never really happened. Mm-hmm. So,
1: hmm, not sure why, yeah.
0: But. Well, and that's kind of why I liked the um, that strategy guide we were talking about too, because they actually made a comic book out of the whole story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, right. in, in between each chapter, where they're giving you the maps and showing you all the power ups and that, then there's these comic book, you know, panels that shows, you know, mm. frame by frame the exact story you saw and it's like that was really neat. Like that got me excited to want to play this game when I read those
1: Yeah. Yeah, again it was it was nice especially getting the magazine in the mail and, you know, being able to to read through this stuff and kind of have an idea in your head what this game was going to be about until you started playing it. You had that entire, you know, backstory set up or, you know, you could go grab your GI Joes and kind of recreate scenes or something, I don't know. Yeah. But uh I don't know. That's what was cool about these kind of games is there was, there was a, a story that was put in place, you know, it didn't necessarily have to be there, but it was added to kind of flesh things out. And it really, it makes it more enjoyable. I think. Yeah, really?
0: For sure. And, you know, it, it's so funny when I talk to people who are not into retro gaming or who, you know, are of one of the newer generations, you know, to be able to say like, no, you don't understand, like these older games, some of them were these epic stories and mm-hmm. you know to this day I still think that the story of Ninja Gaiden 1 is the best story from a video game I've ever seen and it's really damn good it is and it's it's hard to explain that to somebody who's used to nothing mm-hmm. but you know the Halo's and the Assassin's Creeds and the you know modern games to be yeah. like well how can this pixelated 8-bit game really have a story or like make you almost mm-hmm. cry when you know dr. Smith is about to die like it's but it's like but yeah. it does and yeah you know because and they I had, say, I mean,
1: there's still a lot of modern games that are telling really good stories but it's nice to see that that's not a new thing I mean that's been in place you know since the days of the NES and, and these games in particular
0: but I guess the difference that I'm I, I see is that nowadays it's easy to tell that story because you're basically just making a movie you know to, mm-hmm. be, to sure. be able to that same kind of thing with such limited resources is just, yeah. you know, a, a miraculous thing in and of itself, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. why I think it's it's so much more powerful. But yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's the classic example of having you know limited resources and and really being creative with um, you know how you how you tell your story, whether it be because of a limited budget or in probably in this case limited memory capacity in the cartridge. So there's only so much that you can do, but you know you still find ways to uh, to kind of cheat it just a little bit to to squeeze every little bit out of it. Because you can tell even in the cutscenes, you can see how the um, the actual screen part, um, the screen real estate for the graphics is is kind of you know right a little above center and it's just kind of squished down just a little bit. But there's still a, a ton of color. There's still like really cool positioning
0: of the characters and stuff like that so right so do you have a favorite stage favorite boss least favorite Hmm. stage um you know i was just thinking
1: when i was playing through a lot of it just how quickly it kind of ramps up from like the first stage is pretty easy you know just kind of get your bearings and um the second stage is the one probably that i probably dislike the most with the um the wind and the snow and stuff like that it's not terrible it's just it always throws me for a loop when I get to it. And it's like, oh, this again. Um, but I think probably my favorite stage is the next one with the, um, uh, the light that's flashing in the background. And how it, is that the next stage? or is Yeah. It 100? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it would be three. And I think that one's really cool because you didn't really see anything like that in the first game where all of a sudden like you drop down and you can see the platforms that you have to jump to, but then all of a sudden everything goes black. And then you have to wait for the lightning to flash again and then you have to kind of map out where to go. I just thought that was really cool back then.
0: Yeah, I th- I think that if I had one minor criticism of this game is that it it came out right at that time when I think that Nintendo was really discovering what it was capable of, and mm-hmm. so I think a lot of games were starting to exploit that, or I, I should say explore all the different possibilities of the system and uh-huh. every now and then you'd get these games that was just a little bit more style over substance and it's like you didn't need to have that extra little thing and mm-hmm. i think this game does have several moments of that and it's it's not uh-huh. enough to ruin the game but it's just enough to be like uh did you have to put that in there and and the, the snow and the wind is the first example of that where yeah you know it's fine it adds a little bit of extra challenge uh it makes it first game you yeah know. And it, it, it does make the level unique, but at the same time it's like, okay, you're just trying to show off what you can do. And then you've got the the lightning effects in, you know, stage three, one. Um, mm-hmm. in stage four, two, there's the the water falls that like push you along as you move. Oh, yeah i'm um, yeah, not but, a big fan of that stage either i guess now that i think about it yeah there's there's the ice once you get to stage yeah. five like so it's just those si- kind of little things that it's like it's fine and it wasn't mm-hmm. overkill yet like some of the generational games after this it was just like okay this is nothing but those sorts of just mm-hmm. you know, gimmicks and um in this case it was still subtle enough that it's forgivable but it's like a little bit of that it's just like eh, okay come on like Cause yeah, the light, they're... the lightning thing I think is a fun effect, mm-hmm. but, but it also kind of detracts from the fun of the level when you're like, okay, I just have to stand here on this cliff for five uh-huh. seconds for until second. I can see where yeah. I'm going. Like,
1: well, I think I was going to say, I, was, I think part of it is also, um, when this game came out, you know, we were just starting to see the rumblings of 16 bit systems on the horizon, you uh-huh. know, with the turbo graphics coming out, the Sega Genesis, uh you know, obviously, we didn't know a whole lot about the Super Famicom at this point, but um, I think it was also probably a way to just kind of look to say, you know, the NES is still capable of these little tricks and surprises, and you know, here's some of the cool stuff that we can do. Right, right. Maybe that's
0: why you put some of that in. I don't know. I thought it was cool. Um, I I really like Stage Three because to me, that's always been like the threshold stage, um, okay. because as a kid, I never made it past the third boss. So okay P- playing it you know i knew the first level like the back of my hand like you said that's a really easy one the second one mm-hmm. was always kind of that one it's like yeah i got a 50 50 chance chance of getting through here and then mm-hmm. I, you get through that one it's like okay then when you get to the lightning and then into the tower itself it's like that was my big climax moment it's like i could get to the boss of stage three but i was never able to beat him so everything past that it's like why well, didn't discover that to like high school but yeah. that so stage three was kind of always has that you know soft spot for me just because it's like that was, that was my big challenge. That was my mecca kind of thing. When I, I noted that on my playthroughs too,
1: that it seems like especially 3-1 is right where the difficulty, the first difficulty spike kind of occurs mm-hmm. because not only do you have the, the lightning and stuff going on, but as, you, as you're moving constantly moving forward, if you're not dealing with each of the enemies as you get to them, um, you really start to get overwhelmed pretty quickly yes. uh, where you have a lot of enemy enemies converging on you and they don't let up. I mean, you're constantly getting hit until you deal with it.
0: And you've got some narrow platforms or the like pillars coming out of the ground that you've got to stand on really tough mm-hmm. jumps that it's like, this is where the timing comes in and you can't just, you know, willy nilly fly through the stage and hope that you'll be fine. Like right. you you kind of have to stop and actually, you know, pay attention to what you're doing because I think there's at least one jump where it's like if you just blindly jump to the next platform, you're mm-hmm. going to hit an enemy on you as you're coming down, yeah. and it's going to knock yeah. you into the pit, and you're going to die. So and yeah, this, this is
1: the series of games that teaches you to look before you jump. Right. You know, between this and Mega Man, you never just need to blind jump in these games because there's always going to be a bird or a bat or something coming up out of a pit. Right. And it's going to cause you to throw your controller and frustration. <laughs> so, but I was going to say, too, that um, especially in three 3.1, I noticed that um, in the first game, you didn't always have to crouch to hit low enemies because the hitbox was significantly bigger. And in the second game, the hitbox is significantly smaller. So a lot of these smaller enemies, you do have to crouch and attack, and you didn't mm-hmm. have to do that in the first game. So, yep, there's a little bit more management required as, as far as how to deal with the enemies but you know it, it adds to the challenge but yeah, if you have sure. the shadow kind of balances out too so
0: well and i felt like a lot of the weapons too like there's a it, it seems like they always put like i don't know if this is really true and i'm sure that there are some people who are even more skilled at it than me that would say like no in this stage get this weapon and keep it the whole way um mm-hmm. but i've kind of found and, and maybe this is just a carryover from being a kid when i played it like i got everything yeah. and the the thing that I kind of noticed is that when you got to a point where it's like, oh, you know, this weapon would be really useful. That's probably the one you have. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you now maybe that's because they intentionally put that there, or maybe that's just because every single time I've ever played it, that's the weapon I had there. So I've just learned to adapt to what I had. But it seems like they're kind of a little bit more forgiving and they kind of give you what you're gonna need coming up.
1: Yeah, well, and there's there's not really a bad weapon as far as, you know, Sub weapons are concerned in this game. I think they're all useful in their own way, uh, depending on what you get. The only trick is, you know, they consume a lot less or a lot more magic power than they did in the first game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you might not get as much mileage out of them, but um, whatever you end up with when you get to the boss, you can probably still beat them with it.
0: But the trade-off, even though it uses more power, is that the, uh, the red power-up, icon in this case fills you up to max yeah whereas in the first one it was but i don't know like the the blue one it was like five or ten i think in the first yeah Yeah. whereas in this one you get a red one you're back up to full and you can get the scrolls which increase Mm -hmm. your maximum from that regard so yeah um okay any other kind of noteworthy things you want to talk about with this one Uh, um me think
1: what else was uh was I going to think of? I mean, yeah, obviously three is where it gets difficult. The waterfalls and four, um, that gets pretty tough. I mean, as far as um, positioning and and trying to keep up with not falling into the pit, I have a little bit of trouble with that boss occasionally uh, just to kind of get the timing down as far as the um, between the claws coming out and stuff like that. But um, then what's after that? I'm trying to think.
0: Uh, So four one. Well, yeah, four four is the water level five starts off with the like fire and that ends up with the ice. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. So five is the, is the fire, the volcano kind of thing. And then it's uh Ashtar. Yes. Oh. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, that's, I, if we're kind of getting into that point of it, that's where the game really starts to get interesting because uh, like you kind of alluded to in the beginning that there's, there's a little bit more to this game midway through than what you
0: were expecting right and it's
1: right around that level
0: well and it played out before that like very similar to the first one which you know was five stages mm-hmm. you know or i guess six technically you had your you know yeah um your five mini bosses and then your big boss mm-hmm. and in this one it's like okay then all of a sudden you get to ashtar and it's like all right i'm ready to go uh-huh. and then then you learn like wait there's more right and so then you play stage 6 and mm-hmm. I think the as a player your surprise is the exact same as what you know Ryu oh, yeah. in, in the game. Yeah. Your the boss at stage 6 is like well, wait that's the dude that yeah. was the, it's the J- pet. Yeah. Well no, before before that it's the the pet the demon dogs.
1: The oh yeah yeah the Calvary.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so it's okay. like you're fighting that it's like uh mm-hmm. that's familiar <laughs> and then
1: actually you know, and that's where it gets really cool though is every stage after that is like a weird sort of not really inverted version of the original game, but it's almost like you're going through the original castle.
0: It where feels everything's like it, kind yes.
1: of Torn up and destroyed. It's got that sort of Castlevania 2 vibe to it. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. I just remember thinking that, you know, because I think Ashtar is incredibly easy in this game, especially if you get to him with a couple of phantom doubles and the um, uh, the fire that shoots up the uh, upper diagonal. I can't remember the name of it now. The, but, art of the fire wheel. Not fire wheel,
0: but... Yeah, the, the the art of the fire wheel is the one that goes up. Invincible firewheel is the one that goes around invincible. Oh, okay, okay. Um,
1: but yeah, I mean, because he, he just goes out like a punk, you know, if you do it right. He's dead in like three seconds. So then you obviously know that that's not the final boss then later on. But uh, still, at the time, it was like, that was pretty mind-blowing,
0: I think. Spoiler alert, by the way, I guess. Yeah, right. Game's <laughs> you know, 30 years old, so whatever um yeah I, I don't think too many people listen to our podcast if they have not been playing you know an Gaiden. but you know i don't
1: think do. too many people listen to our
0: podcast anyway so that's all right <laughs> there's that too <laughs> uh. um so the other noteworthy thing i wanted to talk about with the game is the uh soundtrack yes and uh-huh. this is one where you know again we keep comparing this to the the first game which i try not to do but it's hard to in this case um i don't think that this soundtrack is as good as ninja gaiden one however the soundtrack here is amazing and actually mm-hmm. can contains one of two songs that i say is tied for my favorite video game song ever and oh, that's the yeah the, the the opening credits song in this with ashtar over the balcony looking at the lightning and all mm-hmm. that like Mm-hmm. that music that plays during that, like that might've been the moment where I was hooked. And if it's like, if I was not a hardcore Nintendo fan at that point, like that's where I turned. Um, that's where I, it is. Yeah. I love that music. I think it's just, it's epic. It's got a good beat. It's not too long. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the game just, you know, continues from there. And so many of these stages I think are memorable um and I also love that when you get to the final stage, stage seven, they have a, a fun little thing that it took me several playthroughs to notice this, but mm-hmm. the background music in stage seven rotates through the stage music of all the other stages. Yes.
1: Yeah, especially if you happen to to keep dying at the final bosses and you keep starting seven two again. Um you might get a you know, the first level music or the second or the third. Yep. I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Every time you restart it's a, or every mm-hmm. time you die, it's a It picks a different one at random which i thought was a really really neat yeah feature
1: yeah Yeah, and i don't think i mean seven two in this one the last level i don't think is nearly as difficult it's still tough as nails but i don't think it's nearly as hard as the first game where you go from you know the end of six on the platform outside all the
0: way inside and up into the final boss area yes i don't think it's nearly as tough in this one no and it's a lot shorter too so like when you if you do die and have to continue, mm. it's not such a just. Oh my god! Like here I go right. again. You know, yeah. But it's like uh, maybe
1: four screens, I think four or five, but yeah, something like that. Yeah, but man, that first <laughs> game is just
0: oh, it's so brutal. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so anything else we want to bring up or talk about? Some overall recommendation before we get into tips and tricks. Um, I was just gonna um talk about
1: a little bit, I guess some of the differences on, on some of the different versions.
0: Oh yeah. Forgot all about that.
1: Yeah. Um, and I know you've got some stuff as well that, that you've kind of noticed, but, um, did you ever play the, uh, Ninja Gaiden trilogy? Super NES one came yes. out years later. Yep, I owned it. It's kind of, it's kind of weird to go and play that one compared to this one. I don't like it nearly as much, but, um, the music just sounds kind of off mm-hmm. in that one. And even for a Super Nintendo game, it seems like such a lazy
0: cash-in, I guess. I, I think the I biggest know. thing that turned me off was where I just got done saying that one of the first things that sold me on this game was how bright the colors were. Uh-huh. I yeah. felt like in the Super Nintendo trilogy version, it just kind of lost some of its resolution and some of that color was sucked out. Well,
1: in in the, uh, the 3-1 stage, the lightning isn't even there. Like the whole stage is just right the whole time. So I've never understood why either it couldn't have been a hardware limitation. I mean, it's a Super no, Nintendo for kind right, of that. Right, Um, But it's weird. I mean, considering that they're, it's sort of a port, but not really in, in a way on the Super NES one, even the cutscenes look just like they did on the regular NES. So it almost feels like they just literally put the code into a compatible Super Nintendo version and just kind of enhanced it a little bit from there. Right. I... That game goes for a super high dollar on the secondhand market now. It's like super rare, but I honestly
0: don't understand why it goes for that much. It's it's a terrible version to play. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I th- I think some of it's just you know to be able to get all three in one. Which yeah,
1: and it was a late release. I mean, you know, so obviously they didn't make too many of them, but still,
0: yeah, I would have I made mean, it for that matter, if you're looking for these games and like you don't own the original versions, like all three are available for the 3DS Virtual Virtual Console, the NES yeah. Virtual Console. So, for somewhere around fifteen dollars plus tax, mm-hmm. you could own the trilogy, yeah. right? Um, so, uh, yeah. no, the, the the only differences that I noticed were between the the Japanese Famicom version and basically every other uh, national or national release, uh, and there were there were only mm-hmm. two that I found. Um, one hmm. is that when you see Chiquio, like his actual sprite flying around, um, mm-hmm. a little star that's on his chest in uh-huh. the Jap- Japanese version, it's the six pointed like star of David. Um, okay. And in every other country, they edited that and turned it into just a standard five pointed star. Um, yeah. For you know, taking out potential religious iconography oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, they were they were all about that at that point. Uh, the other thing is actually not really in the game itself it's a little bonus uh, secret that's mm-hmm. hidden um, once you if you beat the Japanese game once you get the final end scene you watch the end credits and then there's the the, the end tag that shows up mm-hmm. if you press and hold right B and select on the controller it'll actually bring up two extra little cut scenes that are not in any other version mm-hmm. um, and it's not really much of anything. It's just like a close-up of Jaquio's face, and then there's a close-up of Ashtar's face. And they each have like one line of dialogue. And I think it translates to like, uh-oh, or something like that. But it's it's just this tiny little minor thing that was completely removed from the NES and the PAL versions of the game. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know why it was there, what it added to it. But um, yeah. you have to, like I said, input, input a code to even see it. But that mm. is there in the Famicom. Huh. Didn't know that. So there's a couple other hidden things that are in the games, but they're in all versions. There is a sound test. There's, um, hmm. you know, there's what? Which version is it? One of them has a stage select mode, but I think you might have to have a Game Genie to unlock it. But it's like yeah. it's programmed into the cartridge itself. It's not a Game Genie thing. Huh. Um, I don't think it was this one. I don't. Th- it might have been three. No, I know it was one of the versions of two. But oh, was it? Okay. I don't know whether it was. You know, US only, Japan only, or oh, if, yeah. if it's all releases. But yeah, you have to have a game cheaty to, to unlock it, but it's it's a code that's in the cartridge itself, I think. So, um, yeah, so that's all I found. So if you know any regional differences that I don't. I, I couldn't think
1: of any. I mean, when I was playing through both versions, I couldn't find anything that was really all that different. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's there's not... just not a whole lot of information out there on this game, really. I mean, it's just, you know, this is the era where you didn't get a whole lot of insight into the development of the game unless it was like a, a big name title. But, you know, I don't
0: well, know. I'd like to it, know more about it. This wasn't a disk system game, so it's not like the soundtrack sounded that different. Um, right. They right. they basically programmed everything in there and then just had to you know translate it for the two different regions and mm-hmm. kind of called it a day. Um, yeah. The other weird little thing that I think is interesting, and it's not regional, but um, I posted this on facebook and twitter uh, earlier this week but the, the cartridge itself has the, you know obviously the full soundtrack on there but there's uh-huh. one tr- there's one track that's programmed into the cartridge that was never actually used in the game oh um, yeah yeah i saw that and i don't know what it was potentially you know theorized to be used for but like it's it has the sound like it should have been like a boss battle
1: mm-hmm. but
0: um yeah i don't i don't know what it was Planned for or what they had in mind, but uh, yeah. Yeah, If you if you YouTube that or go to our Facebook or Twitter account, you can. Yeah, I've got a link to it, and you can hear the the mm-hmm. unreleased Ninja Gaiden 2 song. Yeah, that's
1: pretty neat. Oh, um, I did think of something. I, as far as differences, I guess was. Um, I guess this relates more to the the box art itself. But um, you know, if you look at the um, the NES box art and then look at the PAL uh, European box art, because obviously. Yeah. The PAL games, for some reason around this time, you couldn't use the word ninja, so they had to, you know, put other words in there, because obviously Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles and um, stuff like that, so Ninja Gaiden became, I think it was called Shadow Warrior, or Shadow Warrior, something like that, but um, it cracks me up though still, because if you look at the PAL release of the box art of Ninja Gaiden 2, it's the same cover art basically, but. You know, the ninja doesn't have a hood, but he's just got this face, but he looks like this, like, I don't know, 45-year-old dude that's just like this, you know, kind of looks like a construction worker guy. I don't know. It just kind of cracks me up because it looks totally out of place. Uh, (laughs) You have to look it up if you haven't seen it already, but uh, just bizarre. Like, I don't know why they did that or who approved that, but I don't know. Um, Oh, I was going to say not really a difference, but... um, I guess the other thing that's sort of a counterpoint to that box art is um, talking about the cinema scenes in this one, it seems like the characters were um, made much younger in this one. I don't know if that was more to appeal to younger kids as they were playing it, but um, that's something I noticed on recent playthroughs was if you look at um, when Ryu doesn't have his mask on, if you look at Irene, um, they look substantially younger than they did in the first game. Definitely. Yeah. So... Um, I again this is probably around that time that as the NES is really hitting its second wind and um, you know every kid in the United States has it except for like you know the couple of people that still have a master system or something uh, it's just kind of weird that you know I mean obviously you kind of suspend disbelief for a lot of these games' cause it's like oh it's a 16 year old ninja and whatever this and that but I mean this could look substantially younger in this one right it's kind of
0: strange so I don't know yeah, I always thought, like, Irene in the first one, like, you know, with her, you know, three-piece business suit and her right. hair pulled back, like, she, she looked very, very 80s, Yucky. you know, yeah. business casual, but... Uh-huh. With a giant like, cell phone or something. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, then in part two, it's like, oh, she, her and Ryu both, it's like, oh, they're so young and cute.
1: I know, right? It's like, is, is his dad going to pick him up after they... Uh, <laughs> they <get> the box. <laughs> yeah they, they had to carpool on
0: their ninja date <laughs> yeah right so, i don't know just something i noticed it's kind of weird uh yeah that that is true i never actually thought about why that was but it's definitely a, a noteworthy thing mm-hmm. and and it's like you know that's where the story kind of changed too and i you know we kind of alluded to this how the, the story in the first one i think is so good mm-hmm. and it's it's got that dark almost um like a TV drama kind of element to it, whereas the, yeah. this one is exactly. like they they kind of played with it a little bit, but it's it still kind of feels like oh now now we're doing the made for TV version, like it's right right the Saturday so, morning cartoon version exactly yeah it's it's a it's a lot more predictable you know and yeah but, um, okay well let's do a couple tips and tricks and then we can talk about some overall recommendations sure tips and tricks. Uh so I found you know a, a couple that I was trying to think of. I think that you know this game is one that has the reputation of just being insanely difficult and I know lots of people who you know have professed that this and the fir- the first one both are just unbeatable games and I I think that as I was trying to think through like why that might be the image that they have I think that a lot of it I think it is a tricky game to get through but I think especially once you get to the last stage that there's a couple hurdles that maybe people don't know that you can overcome. So I was kind of trying to address that a little bit. Um, okay. but the first tip I had is that we kind of alluded to, to this a little bit, but I think that it's very important that you just kind of take your time and really kind of watch the pattern of all of the enemies. Um, you know, if, if I were to say to you right now, what's the most difficult enemy or the one that everybody bitches about? I, birds. I was going to say it's the birds. Everybody says the birds. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they always follow a pattern and the, the thing that i found works really well no matter what the enemy is is once they come on the screen you know just kind of stop and watch and mm. see where they're going to go see where they're coming and basically get yourself in a position and let them come to you mm. rather rather than trying to like jump over them or meet them for the attack because that usually doesn't work out in your favor no. um, you know the, the bats kind of have a weird little pattern the guys that kind of run up from you behind from behind and then jump mm-hmm. there's the dudes that roll into the little balls and it's it, they all have a pattern just kind yeah. of take your time look before you leap watch uh-huh. the pattern of the enemy and just get yourself in position and you can pretty take pretty much take each attack as a you know manageable bite size thing without going too far and then getting overwhelmed
1: that's a good point though because uh, the way that I think that we want to play these games is to just Rush to the end as quickly as possible, and I think that the way that the enemies behave and that they move, it's done in a way to um, to make you uh, stop and think that maybe you should do that. And like I think th- before getting overwhelmed is very easy, but you know, like you're saying, if you stop and uh, deal with each one as they come up, then that completely changes the behavior that they do.
0: And and I think that this game has a. Maybe it's intentional, maybe not. But like, there's this like subliminal urge that it puts in you to rush and hurry because sure. like the the music is very fast paced. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The music being fast paced and the enemies moving so damn fast, it's like yeah. you you get this feeling like I gotta hurry, I gotta get yeah. to the end of the stage. You like, like, look at look at Ryu's
1: running animation. I mean, it uh-huh. it yep. looks like he's just, you know tearing ass
0: to get through everywhere. Right. So yeah, just take your time, pick one enemy at a time, and you know, yeah, and in bite-sized chunks, it's very very manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, second one that I had kind of was something we already kind of mentioned as well with you know the the power-ups and that, and that's my strategy has always been to just get everything. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, whatever power-up they give you is something that's going to be very useful coming up in the very near future, mm-hmm. um, and at the same time, when you start to see those you know, orbs that are a little bit off the beaten path or a little bit tougher to get, it's easy to say, eh, it's not worth it, but those are the ones that always are. Like, that's yeah. where you're going to find your 1-up or your scroll, which increases your total, um, your your maximum energy for the weapon use um, or the, the red power-up that gives you, you know, back to max. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that are kind of hidden off in the uh, tougher-to-get places, but they're so worth getting if you just take your time and go Find those, but um, oh yeah, yeah. Get get right, at, exactly right. The the riskier uh, power up locations are usually the best ones. Right. Uh, yeah, and and, the, the, and and again, they put things in positions that are actually, I think, very friendly to the you know player friendly. Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed that a couple of the stages or sections of stages that are really difficult usually have a one up hidden in them somewhere. Um, yeah. The you know, there's several stages that right before the boss, you're going to find mm-hmm. a little recovery potion. So if you take your time and get all of the things, like it actually kind of sets you up to succeed. Um, yeah. Uh, the next one that I had kind of on the same level or same idea is the power-ups that you get in those weapons. My opinion is don't be afraid to go ahead and just blow through all of that and use it as you go through the stage. Um, mm mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of easy to think like well i should probably be conservative and save this for the boss but my general feeling is that when it comes to the boss those power-ups usually are not as useful as just you know your sword and the phantom doubles being positioned mm-hmm. you know strategically so don't be afraid to use that stuff up um especially yeah. considering like we said when you find the red power up like it fills you back up back up to max so you're gonna have plenty of energy, just go ahead and use what you got. Help you, help it, or let it help you get through the stage. Um, If you don't have any for the boss, it doesn't really matter. Your phantom doubles are going to get you there and you'll get you through anyway.
1: That's a good point. I mean, it it almost encourages you to use the special weapons more uh, because you're going to get refills on the magic anyway, so might as well get some practice in before you get to the boss.
0: Yeah. Um, And then the last two tips that I had are both in... Yeah, specifically relate to the very final boss at the end of Stage 7. Um, and mm-hmm. this actually applies to Ninja Gaiden 1 as well, if that one was giving you trouble. But in both games, you're gonna f- when you get to the end, there's actually three bosses in a row that you have to fight. And uh-huh. when you beat one, you immediately go into the fight with the next, and then immediately the next. You don't get to refill your life. You don't get to refill your weapons. It's just back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that can be a real turnoff for players, especially if they get to one, they kill one, they die at the second, all of a sudden it sends them all the way back to the beginning of the stage, and they're like, screw this, I'm done. But the thing that you don't necessarily realize until you play it a few times, once you beat one of the three forms, it's never back. It's dead for good. Right. so Which is good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unlike something like a Castlevania 3, where you have to fight all three forms every time you go, in this case... Okay, you kill Form 1, you die at Form 2, send you back to the beginning of the stage. When you get there again, you're now on Form 2. So you can slowly mm-hmm. kind of whittle them down and just take them on one form at a time. You have yeah. unlimited continues, so screw it. Go for it. Just have the patience to kind of keep going. And I, I really wonder how many people give up before they ever realized they don't have to kill that thing again.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Certainly possible that,
0: you know, people didn't realize that
1: You know, for each, each death is a learning experience, especially Mm -hmm. in the last level. So, you really have nothing to lose, it's just a question of perseverance and muscle memory.
0: But like, if you kill Jaquio and now you gotta fight this, you know, demon face, demon face just wipes you out, you get sent Mm -hmm. back to the beginning of stage 7 and you're like, well, screw it, I'm not gonna, I couldn't do it that time, I'm not gonna try it again, like, I spent how many hours on this game now, I'm done. You might Mm -hmm. never even notice that oh, next time I get there, Jaquia's already dead. So yeah. in case you were not aware of that, he's still gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's um, right. And then the last one I had is related to that. In most most places in this game, you know, throughout the stages or at any of the bosses, if you die, it takes you back to the last, I guess, checkpoint is the best mm-hmm. word, word for it. Um, kind of like the the. The, the last screen that you were on, it takes you to the beginning of that. Dying at the very final boss is the one exception to that. Whether mm-hmm. you have continues left or not, it will take you all the way back to the beginning of stage 7-2. Yeah. Um, so, if you get there and you're about to go into the last room and assuming you still have at least one life left, um, make sure you're at full strength or at least powerful enough that you think you have a fighting chance before you go through that door. If you don't, mm-hmm. It's usually better to just backtrack a little bit, commit suicide, and try again. Because mm. if if you walk in there and you only have like two bars of health left and no phantom doubles, yeah, you're probably gonna die. And now you have to backtrack through the entire stage versus go jump down a pit and now you only have to retrace, you know, the last little yeah, leg of that I mean, level.
1: I would disagree a little bit though, because even if I had just a little bit of health, if I could at least get into the room and see what the boss does before it kills me i that would at least give me an idea of what the patterns might be but
0: yeah i, I guess, I I guess that's it. true i mean this this might be like yeah. assuming you're familiar with the game and you've fought it yeah, before yeah. so yeah that's true yeah but unless you just really want to challenge and see if you can beat the last form with you know two bars of health or something yeah I, one but. time in my life i've managed to kill all three forms on the same life Huh. but uh
1: well, I don't I, think the final form in this one, which is basically the same as the one in the first game, I don't think it's nearly as tough as the first game, though.
0: No, not even
1: close. It's a spe- well because you have those phantom doubles, like yeah. But even if you don't have those, though, I mean, you know, you, you hit the head, the head falls off, and then it starts spitting the stuff out from the top or whatever. But it's not in the first game. I remember that stuff just pouring out like a fountain. Like you it, just you had to time it right, get in there, get to the heart. And in this one, it's a lot more. Um, relaxed, I guess. I mean, there's still shit coming out of it, but
0: um, it's
1: much easier
0: to dodge. In this one, it, it spits out a lot less fireballs And yeah. the, the geyser. Uh, when the head falls, or when you kill the head, it doesn't roll at you. Um, oh yeah, good point. Yeah, you're right. And, and also like in the first one, when you've got to get up there to the heart, his claw is still in the way, so uh-huh. it's, it's really difficult to maneuver up there without taking damage, whereas in this one, you've got a much bigger area to work in so yeah this is and then yeah just add the phantom doubles to that and this is a significantly easier fight than oh yeah the first game but all right so what do we think is this an overall uh recommend is that a pretty obvious statement
1: oh absolutely yeah i mean this is one of the best games
0: on the nes for sure yeah i think that um it's really hard for me to pick a favorite between this and part one they both Hmm. have their strengths their you know weaknesses but um I mean, no, yeah. no doubt. I'm gonna put this game in my top ten video games yeah. of all time.
1: So, I have, I again, like I said, I have more
0: nostalgia for the first one, but
1: I really like this one because it's really, really good. I'd say this is probably in my
0: uh, probably top fifteen, I guess, total. But yeah, it's really damn good. Amazing story, just incredibly tight controls and gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, difficult, yes. but not incredibly difficult. No, it's, it's it's the muscle memory. Like you said, it's, it's very challenging, but like once you kind of figure it out, if you're, if you've got that dedication and Mm -hmm. that patience, it will pay off. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I recommend, I think from both of us. So Mm -hmm. definitely. All right. So I think that kind of wraps up episode eight. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People want to get a hold of us or see some of our older episodes, Wes, how, uh, how should they do that?
1: Well, there's several different ways you could go about that. Um, we are hosted on Geek Nerdery, so if you go to geeknerdery.com, uh, you'll find all of our previous episodes there. You'll also find um, several other shows that uh, might pick your interest, whether it be horror films or um, anything else, really. Just your one-stop shop sort of for geek and nerdery things. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. You can reach out to us at Duck Graveyard um, if you want to send us a um, just a shout out, or you know, uh, if you enjoy the show, um, we also post a lot of fun stuff on there. Uh, we have a page on Facebook, um, Graveyard Duck Podcast. You can find us there as well. Uh, and you know, if you want to just send us a quick email, um, Graveyard Duck Podcast at gmail.com. So um, you can also find our show on iTunes. So if you find a, if you find our show that way, um, please leave us a review. Um, that would greatly help uh, help us move up in the ranks a little bit. So uh, yeah. It's, uh there's there's ways to find us, I guess, if if you wanted to, but I don't
0: know why you'd want to. Yeah, we love we love getting the feedback. We love hearing what your favorite games are, and also, I mean, I think you and I agree that the the nostalgia stories are the, the best part of this. So, if we yeah. talk about talk about a game That's that you I'm absolutely love and have memories of, like tell us how you first discovered it or why mm-hmm. you love the game. So, right, yeah, absolutely. All right, so I think we've got a big game uh, planned for. Next episode, I'm excited to play through that one. It's been a while since I've picked it up, so good, good, good pick from from you yeah. this time around. So that'll be
1: stay tuned. Uh, We'll announce it next week, but uh, you know, should be should be fun. I don't know. I mean, that's again, that's an enjoyable part of the show, though, is kind of going back and forth and seeing, you know, what each of us picks for an episode. Because of course, there's going to be games that you've played that I haven't. There's going to be games that I've
0: played that you haven't. Um, it's just that's what makes it fun. So absolutely. All right, until well next time. until that uh, wonderful moment comes, uh I'm
1: Scott. And I'm Wes and be sure to press start to continue because they're
0: unlimited. Game over.